and welcome to this Encore VFX show with my good friend Matt Walton. How are you, Matt? I am uh, great. Happy to promised, uh, be here. Yeah, as we promised, we thought we'd revisit, just as a kind of a bonus for you um, diehard fans like ourselves, uh, our West World episode 10 summary piece podcast thingy. Now, listen, if you haven't seen the show, for, for I just promise you, you will just get so much out of it if you don't listen to this first because <laughs> it will ruin it. I, I mean, I know people say spoilers and normally I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But honestly, it would just, it, it would be a tragedy not to have this fold out the way that, wouldn't you agree, Matt? Like it just plays out so well episodically. Yeah, you know, it's. I have to say, it's it's a really, really fun show. It's so fun to watch, and I wish that uh, the internet and the rampant speculation of the internet wasn't something uh, that I allowed myself to be exposed to with regards to this show. But yeah, so I would totally agree. <laughs> the only thing I'd say is I actually enjoyed because this this is the great thing about this. We did a show after uh, Ep three, essentially though I added a tiny bit after Ep4 just because it was coming out the next day. And for me, what was really nice about that is that really is, you know, very early. It's the first third of the show. Mm -hmm. And so we were completely limited. We couldn't possibly have seen anything beyond that. So we were just sort of, you know, throwing the net out. And now we get with sort of the benefit of hindsight to see how sensible that was, but also to see how justified our assertions were that it was... Oh, my God, dude. And I got to say you in that episode right after we had seen episode three, pre-episode four, like y- you were you were absolutely dead on correct. Like I'm, try- I'm trying to think like what, in what way were you wrong? Like you had already pegged so many of the things in the story. I, I couldn't, at the time I was like, oh, it's a really good theory. Yeah, Mike, Mike might be onto something. I don't know, but he can't be right about everything. And then sure enough, like, <laughs> well, I was like, did you co-write this uh, series or... So, so if you haven't heard the that uh, VFX show, it's quite worth a listen. But I mean, we raved about it then. We'll rave about it now. Um, before we get into a discussion of the, let's flip it and suppose we get into a discussion of mm. the general series. Let's discuss the visual effects in ten because we did get some nice visual effects in ten and something we'd not seen yeah. up until this, which was um, a sort of a, a metal version of a stage one um, uh, sort of host, which I think was really pretty interesting. What did you think of that? I thought it was great. It was it was very very reminiscent of uh, the type of work that we saw in Ex Machina, although it had a, a less like kind of you know Apple you know <laughs> uh, G four cube kind of vibe going on. It was much more like a yeah like a almost like a a mechanical uh, version you know with like low end kind of <laughs> uh, diodes and stuff kind of going on inside of it like yeah, low end electronics. But the uh, the work they did in terms of um, building out that the design work in terms of the way the body uh, of the Dolores character looked, but also um, the connectivity between you know the um, I don't know if it must have been some of it must have been prosthetic or digital prosthetic I'm not sure um, and then the actress's face and the way they integrated the two pieces together I thought was was really great and it was a really neat look that felt um, like a retro uh, engineering feat. But the effect, I thought, was uh, was really, really well executed. Yeah. Do you remember the Borg Queen in um, in Star yep. Trek? Mm-hmm. So I remember when s- they were working on that shot, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe you could, to people that don't know, just give us that because that was the one that I went to as the sort of the pivotal kind of what a genius way of, of doing a shot. 
Yeah, the Borg Queen uh, shot from, I can't remember the exact name of that Star Trek movie. Wasn't it First Contact? Uh, I think it was First Contact. It might have been, yeah. And, and so what, in no, the no, shot. No, no, it was Nemesis. Hang on, I'm going to forget. Oh, no, it was First yeah, Contact. Yeah, it was First Contact. <laughs> but yeah, where, the, where finally uh, the, I believe it's Picard, right? Is in, yep. Or was it Data maybe? I can't recall. But they're in a room and the, uh, the Borg Queen is revealed and she's sort of the one uh, sort of, not, not really leader, but I guess she kind of takes the role of leader of the, the Borg Queen hive mind. Of, yeah. yeah. And she's lowered down from above. And what's lowered is really just almost like her, um, like a, a marble bust, you know, like um, sort of like just above the chest, um, shoulders and kind of neck and her head where she has this kind of almost Medusa-like cable um, hair coming off the back of her skull and she's lowered down onto uh, onto the body. And so uh, the shot was done in multiple pieces. And I remember too, my, my old office mate was this uh, young uh, compositor named Betsy Cox and they used Betsy Cox's lips at one point as part of the lips in one of the transitions they did to uh to seamlessly move the two um the the cg character and the real actress elements together so it's, it was a really big heavy duty uh comp job with a lot of match move hand done match move in it um so i was just saying what i remembered about that was the disembodied borg queen was uh lowered down with just her spine dangling from what is effectively below the shoulders that's right, yeah, the spine. I and, forgot about that part. And what I remembered about it is that they filmed her basically leaning. So her body was like away, leaning away from camera. And so mm-hmm. if, imagine that you were leaning on a board and you sort of lifted your head up. Um, and so what you got was the head, but straight below where the head was, where the body would hang, of course, the board sort of pushed her back. And so you just had to solve the problem of, of uh, the front. It's a bit like the trick they do on an operating table where they have the actor actually go into the table and then have a fake mm-hmm. body on the table. And so you can have their real face doing stuff. But, of course, when they stick a knife into a chest, it's the rubber chest, even though it all looks to be at the same level on the table. And, um, and so I thought when I saw this one, I thought straight away of that because that, that look of having the sort of up to the top of the, I guess you'd sort of the, the breastbone kind of um, mm-hmm. uh, look... Now, okay, she wasn't going in saying, I am the beginning, the end, and uh, what is it she says? Like the, the <laughs> one who is many, I am the beginning, the end, the I am Borg or whatever it is. But Yeah, but, so do not remember. <laughs> I mean, I love that thing. But um, it had just the same kind of jaw-dropping wow that's so effective to see through them. Um, mm-hmm. But I think as you said uh, just then, so well did it feel like it was older tech, which is a kind of hard problem because mm-hmm. right? you don't want it to look like it's, today tech, but you don't want it to look like it's, I mean, how do you make something look old when it's still futuristic? Yeah. I mean, I suppose the only, like, I mean, the only thing about it that's a little funky is like, you know, the, the, almost the the sort of perfect, like almost porcelain doll, like beauty of the face of the actress that plays the Dolores character. That would be accurate. Like she would have no reason to have blemishes, would she? No, 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 that's true. I, I don't mean to say that that's actually something that throws you off. I actually think it's almost like the perfection of her. And then when she does sit up and say, hello, you know, like in her sort of <laughs> quiet way that she does, is she's so perfect and almost so indistinguishable from like 
kind of this idealized, perfect kind of, you know, feminine uh, face that that's almost the, that, that would be the one thing that almost takes away. It's hard to imagine like, wow, well, what's under that face to make her look so non rubbery. Like she didn't have the same look because she looked so good. She didn't quite have the same look as, uh, the old, uh, like guy that Ford drinks with, you know, the, she didn't have that look or any of those movements or mannerisms. Um, and that was the only thing that I thought of after the fact where I was like, Oh, you know, that older tech is so cool to see, but it would have been also kind of cool if they, if she had some of those slightly more mechanical behaviors in her, her human features. Right. I think the thing that, that, um, I think the thing that we've come to expect from the show is not a lot of visual effects, but when they do it, mm-hmm. it comes off pretty well. And I think that's exactly what they should be doing. Now, it's obviously not a cheap show, but <clears throat> and there's going to be a bunch of other visual effects that are completely seamless in terms of, you know, bullet hits and, and rigs and stuff. But, I mean, there, there isn't really, strictly speaking, a lot of visual effects, but when you get these hits, they're pretty... They're pretty noticeable. I mean, the other one, which I think has been slightly now overused, if I could be critical, dare I be critical, um, is the the shot of young um, uh, Ford walking through that hallway, which I think we've seen about three times now. That's a bit like, yeah, I kind of done that. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. And then the one other big effect, which I don't think was in this final season finale, but it was post our last discussion, was they did do a reveal at one point of... I believe the the young boy that uh, Ford encounters when he's sort of wandering about the um, you know the uh, the old town that's buried in the desert, and uh, he he's talking to that same boy at one point. Maybe it's when he goes to the house that he has the sort of secret house, which is kind of it's I guess a reconstruction of his family or something when he was a boy, if I'm not mistaken. And, and the boy's face uh, separates and opens, kind of like. Um, one of the uh, animations, I think that was in AI, right? Where the, uh, if you remember that in, there's a scene in, yep. I think a library setting where they're having a meeting and talking about artificial intelligence and what it can be and what it means. And there's a very similar effect where uh, the face, I think or the lower part of the mandible or something sort of detaches and separates and the, the character sort of opens up. And it was a very similar um stylistic type of effect, you know? And that was the other one that I thought was a really kind of a big um, old robot style effect where it's sort of pre uh, the biological kind of um, uh, systemic uh, characters that I guess are the newer ones that are in the park. Yes, yes. Okay, so let's get into some of the creepy, neuro, pervy, complicated backstory, musically inspired crossover linked to <laughs> cleverness that is the episode. And on the way, we'll touch on some other visual effects that you know happen to be passing, like uh, really nice um, exteriors and stuff, and mm-hmm. some rather good shots of um, insides of buildings. But so I, I think you summed it up best for me when you said it was a satisfying EP10. And that was the thing mm-hmm. I was most frightened of, that it would be, well, it's just left us with a lot more questions than we answered or it's, you know, the, it's all been a dream thing that we hate or just, oh, that doesn't work because, it, you know, crossed its own logic. But I, di- I didn't get that. No, and I think, you know, I think what's interesting is in the final episode 10, like all the things that, you know, sort of 
are being speculated about kind of come to some kind of fruition. We come to some kind of understanding about almost all the bits and pieces of what it is that's being um, described in earlier episodes. And you come to realize that structurally this entire first season, that the entire narrative is really being told almost in reverse, right? Everything's sort of being told backwards. Um, and we finally come to that sort of uh, conclusion and understanding in this final um you know, uh, conclusion, like the whole thing about Ford, um, and everyone's speculating about Ford's new narrative. What is Ford's new narrative? What is Ford's new narrative about? It's going to be something really big. He doesn't want to do this one narrative. He wants to do this other new narrative that is his own idea. And there's no real, um, understanding of what that might be. And then when we finally do find out sort of the, the, uh, (laughs) the new narrative that he has in mind, it's kind of, uh, I think not quite what anyone was expecting until that moment, or at least I didn't see that coming. Okay, so let's deep dive. So <clears throat> did you, I mean, suspect for a second that um, the biggest twist for me wasn't, of course, the Black Hat and, uh, and William thing. We'd sort of pretty much telegraphed mm-hmm. that. And we, we'd pegged that, um, that Arnold was, uh, you know, an anagram of Bernard's and that, that they were linked. Um, yeah, I, I kind of can't believe that you you got that one after the third episode. That's the that's the craziest outlier for me. Um, <laughs> and obviously, that gave us that uh, that Bernard was a was a droid or a, a host. But mm-hmm. did you get that the new narrative would in fact be the escape? No, they, no. See, I think that was a that was a good clever twist. Some people say that they shouldn't have had some of these reveals in Ep Ten. That we we guessed them way early. I don't think everybody would have guessed them way early. So. I don't think that's a that's a fair criticism, but I wasn't totally wasn't getting that the new narrative. I knew the new narrative was going to be significant, but I didn't think the new narrative was going to be the escape. Um, well, because so. the new narrative breaks the it sort of breaks the confines of the sort of thematic component of Westworld. Like it goes into this other space, like it becomes sort of a self-aware narrative, right? Which oh, yeah. is sort of the part that I didn't But I, so I didn't, didn't expect that the new that narrative that involved happen. killing Ford, right? Like that he would write a suicide <laughs> narrative. If you told me that it was a suicide narrative, I wouldn't have believed you. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. I totally it looked like he was that. in control, not building to his own demise. Well, that I guess that's the part that I thought was really interesting. I, I, I wasn't sure if in that final scene, like if that was part of his whole plan that he had devised and that, uh, you know, all the, um, the people oh, yeah, no, it totally earlier. Is. No, no, it is. And I'll tell you why you know that, right? Mm-hmm. Because when he says goodbye, he says goodbye to Bernard inside the church. Remember that? Uh, okay. Yeah. He shakes yeah. his hand and says, good luck, which is exactly the last thing that Arnold said to Dolores before she triggered her to kill him, right? So he's in essence like he's he's made a decision that his final narrative includes his own death, but it's also he's sort of gifting uh, yeah. this new uh, creature, <laughs> creatures, uh, their freedom or whatever, and putting and getting his revenge know. on all the people he doesn't like in the park. Right. Yeah, and I thought that was actually something that was really interesting. I had we had seen glimpses of the masked. Uh, figures that were wearing the kind of crazy, just uh, almost like, you know, they didn't look like they were like Wild West characters. They almost looked like, you know, these crazy natives that had gone rogue and you weren't really sure like what they were. And we'd seen glimpses of that earlier in the series. And I was like, well, what the heck is that? And then we started to think, oh, maybe they're like the freed robots. But what I didn't 
ever imagine was that they would become the actual robots who had been in cold storage, who had then uh, been reactivated and had been built into the army, you know, as part of this final narrative too, which I thought was also a kind of a cool twist that I, I didn't put two and two together there. I hadn't made that connection with what we had seen previously. Okay, so cool stuff. They... They touched on this. I guess we can... We, I mean, I'm now of the opinion that there's nothing in this show that wasn't deliberate. There's nothing, a single thing in this show that wasn't deliberate. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to infuse meaning into everything. And the biggest piece of meaning is that series two will involve um, a Japanese world after they walked up to a bunch oh, of samurais yes. and he goes, what's this? Samurai world. This is yeah, kind of yeah. complicated. I'll explain it later. Yeah, totally. I mean, that looks like that'll be really crazy. Like just another interesting twist and another interesting um, kind of world to explore and leave uh, some of the Westworld lore behind, but to expand the the possibilities of the kinds of things and the kinds of crossovers that can happen. And I think too, the crossover of having a Westworld and a samurai world is totally perfect too. If you think about just, you know, historically the seven samurai and then of course the magnificent seven, you know, like the sort of notion of remakes... Oh, um, nice one! Western nice one! I didn't get that. But a that's direct a direct connection. Yeah, yeah, to all the Akira Kurosawa. Did, did you uh, notice? Films. Did you notice that the narrative, the new narrative we've been talking about, was where she, you know, obviously May's one, where she's I'm trying to break out, is called Mainland Infiltration. So if no, she's trying to I infiltrate the mainland, cool. hmm. then and the train leads to mainland, then presumably they're not on the mainland. And if you're not on the mainland, you're on an island. So. Is this an yeah, island or is it a sort of conceptual island? Well, that's interesting. And then another thing that um, that I did notice, I did go back and watch the last couple scenes um, a second time just to kind of like, because this is sort of sad, but I, watching the, the premiere of it on sun, last Sunday night, it's just on so late. And I've, I've been wrapping up the end of the semester at school. And so I've been putting in these really long, <laughs> really long days. And like, I actually, I'm sitting there watching it with my wife and uh, I kind of started dozing off, which oh, is hard to believe because I'm so into it. So I had to go back and watch parts of it again. But um, but one of the parts that I saw, and it wasn't dozing off because I was bored. It was just because like, sure. I think I'm just, I'm just, oh, I'm old now, okay, you know? Sure. <laughs> but um, but one of the things that was so cool too is that as Maeve uh, decides that she, she reaches the point where she's going to leave the park, right? Yeah. So she goes to the Johnny Ive train, right? Yes. To leave and leave to the mainland or whatever, which is all part of her programming, right? Like it was kind of hard to tell like, okay, so what's going on? Like is, is her leaving her breaking with the programming or is her decision mm. to stay when she breaks with the programming? And I think it's when she decides to stay. And the evidence for that, I think going back and watching it again is that the whole scenario where she's making her way to her escape and eventually gets on the train, it's all shot like with Steadicam, you know, it's all totally like on rails and it's like, so it's all very controlled. And then the second she makes the decision, she looks at the note about the location of her quote unquote daughter, which I don't know if that's really the thing that makes her want to go, but it's the thing that makes her decide like, fuck, like I don't want to be, you know, fulfilling my programming. And the camera switches to handheld camera. And it's when it goes handheld that like, and it's verite, that that's when she breaks programming. She literally jumps the rails. Because because you couldn't rely on a uh, non-host, like an actual guy, to come through with the note. 
you know what I mean? If the note's mm-hmm, the thing mm-hmm. that stops her and you're relying yeah. on that, would Ford have left that to chance that she would ask for the location of her daughter and that this guy would actually deliver? Like it doesn't right. seem like that he would rely on that as his primary thing unless, I, mean, I don't know, but yeah, it just doesn't feel quite right. But I thought it was like a cinematic device. Like for, oh, I think that's brilliant. I hadn't For that Nolan up, to use yeah. that as a device and then execute it in a way that it's subtle, but like if you're if you're looking closely at it and you see it, it's like it's it's a really cool way to sort of indicate a deeper sort of psychology uh, within the character themselves. So I thought that was really excellent. And, you know, whenever there's a shot that I slightly bump up against, it's nearly always because it's significant and I just have to like... Because I remember the shot where William, now as the man in black, passes Mm -hmm. Arnold in the bar or the uh, event near the end, right? And he Mm kind of looks at him. And I realised, like, it was a slightly odd shot. And then I suddenly realised, well, of course, he's, like, not actually seen Arnold, has he? So he's been thinking about, like, because otherwise he would have got, oh, my God, you're Arnold, when he saw Bernard, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I thought, uh, yeah. What happened, do you reckon, to, to William's um, slightly deviant semi-brother-in-law, naked, last seen on a horse heading towards who knows where? Well, yeah, that's that's a really interesting bit too, right? Because it becomes very clear then that the nature of their relationship early on is such that you know the his friend, the, what I can't remember his name now, but the uh, the a hole friend, yeah. is he's a member of the family that owns the company that winds up bailing out Westworld, and that uh, William is sort of you know marrying into the family and you know they want to see what kind of business guy he's going to be and you know what kind of person he's going to be as a member of the family and he's kind he seems sort of passive at first but he becomes he has the greatest character arc in a way in terms of you know as a human character right he sort of really goes into a a darker place over time and then we see him as this eventual sort of guy who does come back and own a huge percentage of the park and has this because when he puts logan on the horse and sends him off i thought he was going to hit some force field or edge of park and and Mm. be killed right like i thought they'd got to the edge of the park and a bit like in um hunger games right if you actually go to the (laughs) edge the illusion stops because it's a force field kind of thing. And I was like, oh, right. here we're going to see what happens outside the park. Oh, it'd go outside and there'd be no oxygen, right? Or whatever it but was. But it does but seem like there's got to be, he's a character that I would imagine Logan either has to come back or that part of the story has to be resolved because if Logan indeed were killed in the park or if he survived, like how is it that William eventually becomes kind of like the head cheese of, you know, this company because either he murdered his brother-in-law right in the park, which maybe nobody knows, you know, or, or his brother-in-law survives and like, but he's been such a like kind of dick to him. Like, I don't know. It seems like it would be, it seems like it would, there's something there that is sort of a hole in the plot that I, or it just hasn't been revealed yet. What's the name of the security guy that um, has featured up until series 10, like he's the one that went out and found the guy that knocked his head in. Um, What's the name of the guy? Well, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Is the security guy that has the gun that's always like not trusting anyone or anything. I'm trying to Was blank it, isn't he a, The actor, isn't he a Hemsworth? Yeah, but, but uh, I'm trying to think of the character's name and I can't. Um, uh, I can here, Ashley but, yeah. Stubbs, is that right? I'm going to say it's Ashley uh, Stubbs. It is. It's uh, Ashley sure. Stubbs. Okay, so anyway, Luke Hemsworth's character. But he, he he's not in it, right? He's not in 10. He's got to feature enormously in the next series because they've 
why would you build that much character up? Why would you have that much kind of dialogue and character and then not have him around? Because the only reason not have him around is because you'd assume he'd be shot or he'd be played out, right? Mm-hmm. So I think we've set Luke Hemsworth up to be a major player in series two or... I just think that because it's like he's like where was he? Like he's every time there's been a security thing, he's been front and center. And then yeah, it's suddenly, weird that he's just like he's just nixed from the final yeah. episode. <laughs> so like, did he have a cold? There? I mean, you know, I just assume not. I assume that there's some good reason why he's um he's not there. There, there was a lovely tension to detail with that psycho um, pervert kid because as someone reminded me, we saw him earlier humping a robot in a like. Series four or five? Sorry, four or Wait, five. Which psycho pervert? You know the guy that 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 gets out the lube job um right before he gets his head smashed in. Oh um, yeah, the engineer guy. Yeah, yeah. I think he's. I yeah. think I, I looked up. Somebody told me his name was Dustin. I don't know if that's true or not, but anyway, let's call him Dustin, right? So yeah, so he's um <laughs> he's uh yeah we saw him earlier humping a a robot like up on top of a shelving rack or something briefly in an earlier thing. And again, it was one of those shots that I bumped up against, which was like kind of, you know, I mean, it was fine. And I just thought it was there to show that they're, they're not very morally kind of whatever down in, in, uh, in that sector. But of course, then, you know, you've set it up perfectly for his incredibly creepy, um, incredibly violent end. Yeah, in, totally. In his just desserts. Uh. It's funny, isn't yeah, it? Because you know how in a movie you'll often have it that the hero can't kill the bad guy. The hero can only at the last second defend themselves calling the bad guy to die, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. if you're going to kill someone, you have to set them up to be really bad. Um, and in this, you know, you've got goodies and baddies kind of dying. But of course, um, some of these people were just set up to be so appalling that you are almost, you know, I mean, so rooting for the... Sorry, that's a bad expression, but you're so, you know, going for the, the robots over the humans and... Um, oh, yeah. You know, like your, your team hosts and, of course, it's kind of probably not the right attitude to have, but but there you go, yeah. Well, yeah, there's so much more sympathetic. I mean, and I don't know if you saw, like, it, during the credits of the final episode too, they cut back to a scene. There was, like, a, a credits scene. Did oh, an after credit scene. Okay, so I only found about this later and I, I tuned off because it was like, in my case, they played it here delayed. So unlike normally where I watched it in the afternoon in sync with you, I had to wait until our evening. And so it was very late for me. So when it finished, I switched off, not so realizing. This, so, and did you hear what it was? No, no, tell me. Go back and see it. So it's a scene of the, um, I can't remember her name, but the, the woman who has the snake painted on her body. Right, yep, right? yep, yep. And she's caught in the... In the, the door? Uh, in the door, yeah, and she cuts her arm off. Armistice, right? Is that the character's name? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she's she awesome. and she cuts Yeah, she's totally awesome. And in the end she winds up uh, I think she's like a Norwegian actress yep. or something. Like she's Norwegian. Right? But yeah, she cuts she winds up cutting her arm off in this like sort of post scene and like just totally like you know, ragingly like kicking ass and like you know, she's like a like a major, uh, you know, fighting character, like uh, clearly on the side of like fighting now for her own kind of, you know, having agency and fighting for her own kind of uh, freedom. And she doesn't die against the humans in the in the after credits. I no, I don't think so. No, <gasps> not that it matters if she dies because right? they can bring her back. But <gasps> I mean, and and then the other character too. Who's the other one that um, we whose story never really resolved in this final bit was. Uh, what was his name? 
the uh, oh uh, Peter Abernathy, the father, right? Who was reactivated? The one that was in the uh, the, the first lodge. the first father who was uh, Dolores's first father, yep. who was yep. yeah. We we never saw quite what happened to him, other than that the um, the people from the corporation or whatever were gonna they reactivated him. And the narrative right. guy set him up to like go out, but we never really quite resolved what happened with him, did we? No, I mean it's not, it's not told, it's not tightened everything up into a bow that that leaves nothing unanswered. But it's solved enough that you can kind of get on with stuff. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's cool. It, it leaves a lot of interesting tendrils for like what could happen in a second season with the show. Yeah. I think I was so worried that, that we'd actually lost Bernard that. The fact that he's back, I'm like, okay. I mean, I, I mean, as much as I think Ford was a brilliant character, I'd have been much more upset to lose Bernard. I thought he was great. I didn't want him no, I totally agree. Yeah, but but and it's so Game he, of Thrones, isn't it? Like, sorry, losing Ford is just such a Game of Thrones moment for me, right? Like, isn't he the main guy in the? Okay, no, apparently not. We've, yeah, we've, yeah. Well, and but there is one conceit, right? Which I can't imagine this would be true, but I mean, there is this aspect of the way in which it's structured where like you could at any one time reveal that anyone is a robot, right? And yeah. or that anyone is or was a robot, you know. So there's there is this kind of like I think if curious, they showed that like, Ford was now a robot, that would be jumping the uh, the shark for me. Jumping the shark, yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah. I hope you're right. I would not yeah. that would be a bummer, I think. I was I was very worried that everyone below Dex was gonna be a robot. And um and so I was very relieved when they had that funny scene where um, you know, in the elevator when uh, the assistant guy, the, the guy that's helping her escape, kind of like mm-hmm. holds his hands out and she's like, no, you're not, you're one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, he's all like unsure. Yeah, well, she's I? great too. I think the Maeve character and the way in which that character has uh, sort of, I, I didn't, ex- although I know she's a you know really well-known actor, I just was so surprised when that part, it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I was saying that to someone as well. It just isn't that a great a hallmark of a great show when you don't, you know, it's not telegraphed which characters are significant and which are, are not. And uh, Totally. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, obviously some characters, you know, are going to be good, but, you know, you could have obviously um, thought that... Um, that uh, a completely different set of characters were going to be sort of the main play and the whole thing would revolve around Teddy and, of course, it didn't. Um, yeah. Teddy's obviously pretty important but it's just not like his story. Um, but, yeah, him coming into town and that whole sort of his story thing, um, yeah, he, he's significant but just not as anywhere interesting. And yet it, it turned into like a, a dual woman narrative really, didn't it? I mean, as much yeah, as yeah. the man in black is serious, like Dolores and, and maybe the ones we're kind of following, we... we we follow those two women and they almost sort of had an episode each, if you know. I mean, there was only this one episode that we didn't see Dolores, isn't it, right? Close to that. Felt like it anyway. You know, you'd be on one Could of their be. two stories. So, yeah. So, um, so that was awesome. How did you actually feel about the resolution of the maze, the whole idea that, um, you know, because they'd been setting it up, the maze is not for you. Uh, oh, and I did actually nail it on the pyramid, which did actually come yeah. back. Yeah, oh my God, came. yes. <laughs> Again, like another thing that was like, as soon as he's like, he says that and he starts to draw it, 
I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, what is he like, did Mike call them and like tell them what to do? Like, or did they call you and tell you what they did? Because yeah, it was exactly the same thing. When he actually literally draws the exact same image that you described to me, it was so funny. And then uh, I thought I thought that was cool. And I also thought the maze, like that it was a toy and that yeah. it was like one of those sort of gravity based, you know, get the ball in the center of the maze toys. Like I thought was cool too. And that it is in the end, like it's exactly what you said. It's like, it's the touring test, you know, like, and that it's, it's the thing that takes them to that place, but that then has the potential and possibility for there to be this, this sort of triggering event. Like, I think even Dolores says, like, he explains it to her, Bernard explains it to her, um, or I guess, is it Arnold? Arnold explains explains it to her. her. And that's the beautiful yeah, yes. She so he explains it to her, but she says, "I'm sorry, I just don't understand what you mean." You know, and he yeah. kind of has to go further, right? It's like he recognizes that she's not quite at that place yet where she can synthesize. Like, if you look at it, and we, we've been talking a lot about this at the school. Like, you know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with like Bloom's taxonomy. You know, like and the words that are used to yep. sort of go through the different levels of like engagement and learning. Like, there's you know memorization and and like I think the highest one of the highest ones right is synthesis. Like when you're able to take what you've learned and actually be able to then synthesize information and, and rearrange it and organize it in a new way to come up with new new information, new results. And so she hasn't quite reached that level of uh, intelligence or of engagement. You know, she's still, they're still building at that early scene. And so I thought that was really cool. And the way they kept switching and flashing forward and backward, I, I think it you know, would be really kind of a cool thing. I love the way they built this season and the way that the narrative is kind of told backwards. But it would be a lot of fun to go back and have somebody do a um, uh, an edit that was an edit in order of everything, you know? Yeah, I mean, that was the thing about um, uh, the earlier film, right? Um, uh, what was the film that they did that was just so genius? Um, Memento? Yes, which I, ha- I honestly think, like, after they gave the Oscar out for... They should have given that the Oscar for, for editing and then said, there's no mm-hmm. point anybody else competing anymore. This is, I mean, I can't even begin to imagine how that film was edited. It's like, it's a masterpiece of editing and of filming and everything else, right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure people have re-edited that in order and I don't want to see it because for me that was, there's only a couple of films um, that Unusual usual Suspects and a few others where I just felt it was, I was witnessing just such a brilliant playing of my expectations like an instrument. You know, it was just like mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. You, are, you are imagining me watching this and you're playing it really, really well. Well, I think it was, I, you know, it's so funny though. It's, it's become kind of an interesting exploration that people have been doing with films that are uh, films or stories or narratives uh, that are cut like in this sort of disjointed way. Like there was a thing I saw, I think it was on, I want to say it was on like, there's a the cable sh- channel Cinemax. And I think they had taken The Godfather 1 and 2 and somebody did this re-edit of the two really? films and told it in chronological order. I'm pretty sure where it starts with like the young uh, 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 De Niro, right? It's the young yep. Brando. And it tells the story going forward. And I never watched it just because I was like, oh, that sounds so stupid. Like, why would I, <laughs> who would want to see that? But um, 
a couple friends of mine who are also big, you know, fans of you know Coppola and all his kind of epic filmmakings actually went and they did watch it, like kind of almost on a lark, like oh, okay, oh well, let's just check it out. And they actually said it was kind of, it was kind of cool. So I don't know, it'd be interesting, just as even like a you know, an exercise, like just to see what that would be like and what does that mean? And it, it could be, you know, interesting as a, as a filmmaker to look at that and see, and then sort of deconstructing something like that. I think like unpacking it in that way could be kind of fun. So here's a question for you, which I haven't resolved. When he first arrives in Westworld, William, and he goes in and she tries to sit, well, she offers herself to him while he's getting changed. Does he pick the gun there that's the gun that features at the end with also shot Arnold uh, and also shot Ford? Uh, it that looks is a good like question. it was the kind of the same gun. It has this kind of like handle of this. I, I think it's, I thought the one in the cabinet was shorter, but if anyone knows this, please tweet and let me know because I was like, mm. that would be just, that would just give me sh- sort of shivers. But that was, yeah. Well, it's, it's so it's so fun that you know here, here we are talking endlessly about this thing that we clearly both were so into this this year, but uh, how neat would it be to go back and like you know try to connect all the dots? And I'm sure that's something that people are already doing, but be so fun to kind of like start to have a greater understanding of all the sort of little breadcrumbs that were left at the outset and uh, try to sort of figure out what all the bits and pieces were. I mean, it's definitely rich in that way as a as a as a um, piece of entertainment, you know. Now you've you've criticised Nolan films, and you and I have disagreed on this score. But I'd like mm-hmm. to quote to you what Robert Ford says about Oppenheimer: "Any man whose error takes ten years to correct is quite a man." So, are you ready to you know correct your error? Uh, well, this isn't Christopher Nolan, right? No, this is his but, brother. Yeah, but it's like the <laughs> Nolan brothers have been involved in. Um, <laughs> No, I would say this, like, I mean, I I do like some of the things that uh, Christopher Nolan has done. I I think of all the things that I've seen of his that I like. I did like that early film of his, The the Following, I think is kind of a fun one to watch. And I did like Memento. And I did like, um, which a lot of people don't like, which I I think it's interesting. But I I really like The the Prestige, I thought was a really fun story. I think that's probably... I think that's one of my favorite movies of his. I'm I'm just not crazy about like <laughs> you know the Dark Knight movies, but I mean I'm weird. I'm a weird uh, fan of film that way. Like I don't like the the Lord of the Rings movies very much. Um, those aren't things that connect with me for whatever reason. And the the Batman stories are kind of the same. And I just don't know if in the end like the I think in that kind of filmic narrative, I I don't mind drama, like in heavy drama, I, I can get into, but I don't know if I like that kind of drama in a comic book world. Like it's too, it's just, it's, it's a leap. It's a, it's a bridge too far maybe for my brain. I don't know. It just doesn't quite click for me. It doesn't work for me. And then I, I just didn't, and Inception was fun as a one-off thing, but it's not a movie I'd ever watch a second time. Um, having seen it once, it's sort of like, um, like The Revenant is a movie like that too, where I, like I saw it and I saw it in the theater and it was really awesome, but I don't think I could watch it again. Like, I feel like it's like a one, it's a one journey movie. You know, once you've been on the journey, it was a cool journey, but I wouldn't want to go on it again. But I, and I thought, and I know this is also not a very popular, um, sentiment, but I, I didn't like, um, 
Interstellar. I thought Interstellar was a mess. I thought it was a disaster. I, I didn't enjoy it. I don't movie. think it was a disaster, but it was, uh, it was not quite um, what... Uh, I really wanted to like it. I was excited to see it. I saw it that opening weekend, but I just was like, ugh, you know, it just was too, too much. And I, I mean, I, so stylistically, like I just, he's not one of my favorite filmmakers. I don't hate his movies. Like I just, he's, he's just not like, uh, he's not like at the top of my list. And it's, it's just been a a long, fun running gag, I think to, uh, to needle you about it. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so let's change the subject. Did you were you aware of the uh, neuroanatomy in Michelangelo's separation of the light from darkness in the Sistine Chapel? The, the no. painting that she looks at with the brain. No, I did not know that part of it. I mean, I know that painting. Yeah, of you course. Know, yeah. And I know, of course, the you know some of the story behind what the painting is about. But I had no idea about the background uh, being the shape of the human brain. Is that a real thing? So I'm such a dork. I looked it up, right, and and traced it back to the original paper that was published in 2010, six years ago, mm-hmm. in Neurosurgery, Volume uh, 66, Issue 5. Uh, page 851, Concealed Neuroanatomy in Michelangelo's Separation of Light from Darkness in the Sistine Chapel. And it then goes on to point out that he was um, uh, like dissected uh, cadavers uh, and did mm-hmm. profound understanding of, of anatomy between 1508 and 1512 and then went on to paint the Sistine Chapel um, in the winter of 1511, right? Um, and so, yeah, this paper was delivered in a neuroscience uh um, you know, like a academic journal, which you know both you and I would respect as like a proper sure. place to publish concealed neuromatin, <laughs> concealed neuroanatomy. You'd be something you'd get a cash bonus for, and I would be like, there you go, I got one for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the point is that uh, you can actually go online and uh, and look it up. It, as I say, it's in neurosurgery, and um, you have to look it up as a proper paper. And sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know where you are in the world, you may not be able to do it, but you can download this like a 20 meg file where these neurosurgeons um, and, um, and scholars basically pull apart uh, exactly that. So I, I was just kind of that and other things, you know, the fact that they, the, 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 uh, the maze, the puzzle that they pull out is an actual one apparently from the period, like it was the the thing that he's holding is a reconstruction of an actual toy and the brand of it, which is like pigs in a something, that's an actual brand that was um, uh, like, you know, the art department had bothered to find a real thing. Uh, Pigs in Clover, yeah, is an actual game from the period that was 100% real. And I mean, the neurosurgery one, I was like, I think I had heard, someone had told me that before, but I hadn't paid a whole lot of attention to it. And then of course, inside the context of the show, it was like, you know, mind blown. Um, And I didn't stop the show, but as soon as it was over, when I should have been watching the end credits, I downloaded this, um, (laughs) uh, you know, whatever it is, 20 page uh, paper. uh, So I can start reading up. And it's actually much more extensive than that. He's got all sorts of other, it's not just the brain. They go into all sorts of things on the, on the faces and, and stuff. Um, it's a heck of a read. But yeah. yeah. to check that out. But I thought that that was actually in the context of the story, uh, whether it was true or not at the moment. I thought, oh, that's that's pretty cool. No, it's but absolutely true. But the suggestion true. in the context of the story, right, is that, you know, it, this that man uh, 
I mean, the way I interpret it, right, is that man invented God, right, as a conceit, and the brain is sort of there in the background as part of this sort of thing. Where well, it's that 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 may that be an interpretation. My, but, but another it, interpretation also, is the gift that God gave man was the oh, is the, the, brain. the is the thought of the brain. I don't, I don't want to I don't want to infuse too. it with a um, with a, does, uh, it, an anti-religious some, overtone that I don't think was in the show. Well, it it, it connects back to this notion, then I guess of the 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 mechanized humans who are now sort of being set free being the children of what well absolutely and and when she goes in she's talking about them being gods right and he goes these gods are and she's like they're not gods they just act like it um i mean it's you know it's again one of these lovely multi-layered aspects to the whole show that's been sitting there in plain sight that well, yeah, I guess know. it doesn't make any sort of moralistic or anti-moralistic um, distinction in that, but it's it's certainly loaded with um, uh, many possible interpretations. I go further and say actually there are moral overtones to what's being said, but not theological overtones to what's being said, um, because the the idea of playing God doesn't doesn't have to run in the face of you know uh, Catholicism or um, you know. Uh, you know, Methodist teaching or whatever, like that. The idea of of playing God, I think, is a completely and the idea of who created who and and what exists in the essence of because um, you know the central theme to the whole thing, right? Is are these beings worthy of being considered to be cognitive, uh, you know, sentient beings that have consciousness? And you know, Ford makes that point about it isn't some big thing; it's just a continuum. At some point, and I have this discussion a lot with people at the moment who talk about AI and how they're going to become, you know, take over from us. And I'm like, it's a different sort of intelligence. It's not a human intelligence that we're talking about when we talk about deep learning and um, neural nets and uh, and the stuff that's going on with AI right now. And you know, sure, it dovetails into science fiction really well, but it isn't at a serious level like you know, human understanding of consciousness that the team at Google is effectively um, building. That being said, the moral implications of the stuff, especially when it comes to jobs, how you treat um, uh, creatures. I mean, I, I literally think that one of the most interesting aspects of this show is the idea of what does it say about me, about how I treat a artificial being? Um, you know, like what reflection is it on my humanity, how I treat this thing that is something other than human and you know in the same way i think i don't know if i said this to you before but like the same way is if you treated a dog badly that would say something about your humanity even though it is not a human that we are talking about you perhaps not you personally but you know somebody being being cruel to yeah well there are there are many many uh you know psychological studies that i've anecdotally read at least uh that um explore that very thing like the way in which someone treats uh, animals like cruelty to animals in youth is there's a correlation between that and you know uh, a certain kind of um, apathy or lack of empathy um, as one gets older in relation to other people too. So yeah, if you were in the writers' room for series two, you can no longer play the card of uh, the multi timeline that we've experienced. It seems too. Um, much of a jump down in um, in sort of uh, cleverness to just have a shoot 'em up narrative story that the original Westworld was of just you know moving from place to place shooting people. So where do you think it goes? 
I mean, forwards out of it, it can't just dissolve, resolve itself into a um, de-evolve, I guess, into just a shoot 'em up between the good guys and the bad guys, even if the good guys are the of the are the hosts. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, it, there's aspects of it that remind me a lot of <laughs> of Planet of the Apes. You know, there's a kind of aspect of it that's very familiar in the Planet of the Apes style way. She it went also, back for the baby. No. Yeah. yeah totally. Damn you. <laughs> Get on the train. Damn you. Sorry, Con. But, but that there's also a part of it too that um, it just in what you were talking about earlier when we were talking about um, uh, the, the painting and stuff, the other thing I started thinking about, which I often forget, but I mean, it's, it's kind of a cliche, I guess, but I often forget how seminal it is in terms of all these kinds of discussions about artificial intelligence is, is uh, the novel Frankenstein, right? You know, and the, how yep. that sets up so many of these kind of ethical questions about the nature and meaning of, you know, the generation of life and the, you know, notion of, you know, playing God and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, you know, the, or the alternate title, right. For, um, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, I think, right? Yep. It's the modern Prometheus, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. Right. So it, it ties everything back into like Greek mythology and um, the relationship of uh, Prometheus, um, right? Taking, uh, what is it? He takes fire back from Zeus to give it to man and all this kind of stuff. So there are these um, interesting uh, sort of classic literary um, avenues that could be exploited and explored um, in really rich ways moving forward, given, I think, what they've set up. But, I mean, I think, yeah, there's clearly opportunities for um, some kind... It, it would be dangerous and it would be just a huge shift in gears for the show if it did devolve into... It doesn't feel know, like it would, does it? I mean, it just doesn't I, seem right. I really hope not. I mean, you know, they say that they're not coming back until 2018, I think, right? So they're going to take... An entire Jeez. year to do a, a, a host, obviously quite a, a deal of writing um, as well and planning, as well as um, you know beginning production again. So if we're going to be waiting an entire year uh, for season two, I think there's every reason to expect that you know the showrunners in this case are going to are going to make an effort to uh, hopefully keep the level of quality uh, high and the level of kind of intrigue high. I mean, I think the the samurai world, seeing that as a, a possible other um, world that could be built out or developed or something that's maybe half built, you know. Okay, so I'm going to get my prediction. Do you want to get my mm. prediction, which is obviously based yeah. in no fact whatsoever. I think what will happen is we'll go to other worlds and there will just be nothing about Westworld for a bit. We may be three eps in and there's nothing about Westworld and we're in a completely different world. And we're all sitting there going, this is awesome, but, do you know what I mean? And then it'll, it'll have, then it'll cross over, right? Like I think that they'll, they'll spend a bit of time setting up another world and stuff. We won't even pick up this story for a while. And then you'll realize that there's a connection between stuff that's been going on in this Westworld series and stuff that they're setting up in this other one. And we won't be sure in the other one when it is in comparison to Westworld. Is this happening before the Westworld incident, during, after? What's the deal? Yeah, it would, it would seem like that would be an interesting thing to do to make a huge leap forward, you know, potentially in time post the events of what we see at the end of episode uh, 10 here. 
But even if you just didn't know, right? Let's say you're in well, a yeah, Japan world. You don't world. know if you've gone forward or backward, but the idea that you could take a leap forward and like have, right. you know, they've come in and somehow taken over and taken back control and you could almost reset the story in some way if you wanted to. Although it would be kind of a shame to lose uh, some of the momentum that's been built because now there's such a, I have such a curiosity to see what will happen with the characters who've become uh, essentially sentient, you know? Yeah. And also what's interesting on that score is that it seemed to only be the early ones that were sentient, right? Mm-hmm. So that's not like everyone. So it's like, you know, the Brainiacs and their and their army as opposed to all of them becoming conscious. Well, like, we don't know. We don't, we don't know. Well, so what happens to said Most of you went insane, right? That's one of the lines. Um, only a few survived. Most of you went insane. Because remember that was like this whole thing about the early models having this... Um, this idea of the uh, the inner voice to kickstart their own voice, mm-hmm. and um, and I think that that was something that you, you think it's not the case. You think it's like all of them? Are... No, I mean I, I guess I, it's it's just total speculation. I'm not sure. You know, <laughs> it'd be hard to hard. It's hard to guess. I feel like I it got... could go. It could go either way. Also, I I, I would say though that like I'm not going to second guess you if you tell me what you think you know is what's going to happen. Like I'm now uh, <laughs> ready to just follow your lead. <laughs> was there any parts of the uh, story that you felt, you know, unsatisfied with? In other words, stuff that you felt like, um, you know, maybe uh, you could have helped expect it. The only thing that I, well, I'll, I'll say one in a second. Is there anything that you thought like, well, that's been built up and I didn't get a satisfying answer? Mm, not really. I think the the only things that I kind of wish I maybe had a little bit more information on our uh, I'd like to know how people responded to reacted to or if there was ever it was weird that the Teresa character the the Borgen lady <laughs> that she um was dispatched with so quickly and efficiently and was just sort of gone like I that was a I guess she wasn't an, as an important of a character it was more like she was a, a vehicle um, for a greater reveal about the Bernard character. But, um, I don't know, there was kind of a bit of a... Maybe I was just bummed to see that actor leave the show. Yeah, I think she's a nice actress her. as well. Yeah, I felt maybe like we was... had to have somebody die, otherwise you'd be watching the whole show and no one dies and it seemed a bit unrealistic. Yeah. Um, the one for me that I think is weird is there's this whole thing about the Ghost Nation warriors that's been going on and... I've been waiting for a big ghost nation thing and it didn't feel like I got that adequately kind of... Now, I think your theory is that the ghost nation is made up of the guys that were down on um, the bottom floor. Well, isn't and that just coming out of the woods? Like yeah, this? but that. But it felt like the ghost nation existed separately from the ones that were down the bottom because the ghost nation existed... And I and they'd gone down to, for example, pick that guy that uh, the father and put the memory in him, and there was still a whole lot of people down there. And the, in that timeline, I think the Ghost Nation was already active, so it felt to me a bit like the Ghost Nation was something else. And remember when they attacked uh, Teddy? I think it was, and they seemed to. We were discussing this in, in like I think three, and he's shooting them, and they don't seem to die. And we were like, are they guests that have gone rogue, or are they, um, you know? sort of hosts that don't feel it. They tacked him in the desert effectively, right? Right. And uh, and so the whole thing, I was kind of waiting for a 
big ghost nation reveal um, that there was going to be I, some bigger play. I guess I just sort of thought that like, and maybe this is not correct, but I kind of always had thought that anytime we had seen those people previously, that that was a flash forward, right? To the events that took place the, around the time of the events that took place in episode 10 is sort of, I guess what I was thought we were seeing. I mean, that's where I think it would be interesting to see a linear version of the story. Cause I think you could, you could actually place some of those things. They're almost like, um, uh, you know, you know where they no, did it because frequently the, before was they did it in Breaking Bad a lot. Like I don't know if you yeah. watched that show, but like they would yeah. do things in Breaking Bad where they would open an episode with like a stuffed a burned yeah. stuffed animal floating in a swimming pool, and you're like, yeah. what the hell is that? And sometimes it would come back at the end of the episode, but sometimes it wouldn't come back for a couple episodes, and then you'd see it again, and you'd be like, what? You know, like oh oh oh, that was that thing in the pool, right? And so I almost kind of, I almost took it as one of those types of events, I guess, but maybe I'm misplacing it. I don't know. So William, young William, was with Teddy uh, when they had this kind of ambush and there was somebody in the party that wanted to go back and like three of them went on and... and, um, Uh, Right, yeah, there was the couple, right? The woman and her husband who were like, I I just want to go back to the Sweetwater or whatever. Yeah, and she was like pretty kick-ass. And the thing is, it just felt to me like that was... That was Ghost Nation happening in timeline of back then, not now. So there was something like maybe some of the Ghost Nation, um, you know, I was less worried about the Confederados and stuff and the stuff with Wyatt all seemed to be tied up with the notion of who Wyatt was as a concept and how he was folded in. Mm -hmm. But the Ghost Nation, not so. It was like it felt like a thing yet to play. Like that someone, like I was waiting for the apocalypse now, one of the guests had gone rogue and formed a kind of cult out in the, you know what I mean? Like a, like a Kurtz going wild thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't and, see any uh, method at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so that's what I was waiting for. So you, you, you honour me with having too much insight than I have because I was clearly wrong about that. But I thought it would be a kind of nice apocalypse now thing to have. And and, yeah, and also so yeah so that's something that was never really resolved. I guess I I hadn't I, I don't know. I'd have to go back and watch everything again, which actually is something I I think I probably will do at some point, maybe over the summer or something. Go back and watch <laughs> or this a year again. year from now when the show's about to come back. Yeah, exactly. But only only to maybe kind of try to parse some of those bits and out because like I the other possibility that I keep thinking is that which I know you just sort of dismissed as something you don't think was true, but that the ghost nation maybe was part of that whole group of the people in the, that Wyatt description of these, uh, you know, people who were out to get Teddy. Yeah. So, I mean, well, the ghost, so yeah, I mean, I just feel like ghost nation existed in young William timeline and therefore the guys down in cold storage could have been ghost nation, you know, that were then taken out of commission, put down there and then brought back at the end of the episode. And that would have made me happy, right? That there had been a ghost nation, they'd gone out of control because they'd gone rogue. One of them had become sentient, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And they, and maybe it was the father, right? And then they, 
lobotomized him, stuck him in a new story narrative as the father, put all of his ghost nation down in cold storage and then they'd all been unlocked at the end to come up and attack. And I would have loved that, right? That would have, been a, well, that that, would have made that, sense. That could still be true though in the sense that like they never do uh, explore that beyond, you know, that initial conversation. But there is reference to an incident that took place in the park, you know, which maybe is just the, the killing of Arnold, but they never are explicit about what that incident was, you know? So I don't know. <laughs> I suppose that's still a possibility. And the last thing, so that, that didn't feel like that either is yet to be resolved if we have faith in the, in the magnificence of the writing that that's going to be completely explained and I've just bumped up against it because I'm meant to. And then the other thing that I want to know that I'm sure I'm not meant to know is, you know, what happens about, um, uh, it's Felix, right, that helps her escape? Which of the two, Felix or Sylvester? But anyway, whichever one of the techs helps her escape. Yeah, like, the skinny, the skinny little dude. <laughs> yeah. Where did we last see him? She didn't the, kill him. No, I think she just, she just took off did, right and left yeah, him there. So that's why I'm thinking, where's he at? I don't. I yeah. can't remember seeing his arc have a an ending, but I didn't feel like it was a mistake. I just meant I wasn't meant to yet. In the same way that I'm completely convinced that not having um, the security guy in the final ep wasn't an accident because mm-hmm. he had a cold, but they just I wasn't meant to have him there. Yeah, I guess but the anyway. nerdy tech guy, like he just sort of seems like it was such maybe he just seems like a vehicle. You know, wasn't like wasn't no, but hang on, wasn't he? Didn't that guy act that part so well? <laughs> Both Sylvester and Felix were just so repulsively nerdy. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Totally. I mean, we, we, we give lots of credit to people that are like acting heroically, but acting that self-defacingly bad, as in like stupid, as in annoying, as in kind of you can't possibly Yeah, they're think, like dolts or something, you know. They're like, totally. you, you guys still alphabetize your underwear, right? Like, I mean, it was just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just, I thought it was such a good... Um, yeah, they were just the kind of creepy guys who would work <laughs> down in that area because it would do your head in, I am sure. Okay, well, I think we should wrap it up there for this uh, bonus app. Um, but, Matt, it has been a complete pleasure. And I, I've got to tell you, I really enjoyed when I've watched an episode being able to share the odd tweet with you. Oh, totally, me too, man. <laughs> I think this is something that you should watch with somebody, like in whatever capacity that is, in on the other side of the planet, um, because there's this... OMG kind of text that uh, that was very um, very good to be able to bounce off you every time something. Yeah, happens. absolutely. It's been really fun, and I think it's just the perfect kind of show that like taps into. I think a lot of um, you know probably uh, effects artists. I mean, I know we didn't talk a huge amount about effects in this particular episode. I hope people don't mind that we kind of this was a rat hole episode about something that yeah. I think you and I, at least as you know former uh, full time effects artists, um, you know clearly could get into this show because it has some great effects in it, some great storytelling by some great filmmakers, but also has um, uh, explorations about really interesting issues that are confronting, you know, people who work in and and deal with technology right now in terms of the exploration of artificial intelligence and, you know, all those kinds of conundrums that arise in uh, thinking about that as a, as a future and emerging technology. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's tailor-made for, I think uh, people in effects, you know, if, if uh, people watch this and, and like it, I think it's almost like it's it's almost feels like it's made for like these times and for people who work in uh, these types of industries. 
Yeah, and look, let's face it, right? There are films that come out, and I don't know if we'll review it, but like I don't know, Baywatch with Rock, The Rock Johnson and Zaf Afrin, and we you know, review these for their visual effects. And you know, we often get to points in the story where we say, "Well, what do you expect? It's a superhero film, or it's a mm. you know, it's a remake of a TV show." And I, I'm expecting too much. Um, for me, this was uh, you know, there's a there's a just just great writing, and I don't think anyone got into yeah. visual effects without just a complete love of filmmaking and I use the broadest possible definition there and if you love the art of storytelling then and of course you're into tech like we must be uh, then yeah this is arts meet science in such an interesting way and uh, anyway totally huge huge buzz talking to you about it so thank you so much and thank you guys for listening as I always like to do Matt um, where can people follow up on you or contact you or ping you that we got something wrong yeah, yeah. Uh, go to my website, mattwallen.com, or you send me, uh, feel free to send me a, a uh, what do you call it, a uh, direct message or a tweet or whatever on uh, Twitter at Matt Wallen. And of course, I'm uh, Mike Seymour on Twitter, and you can find me over at FX Guide. And uh, I'll try and put a link, if I can, to the uh, PDF of the terrific academic paper on <laughs> the concealed uh, neuroanatomy that uh, I geeked out over. But uh, yes, if you like me, it's really worth a read. And if you're not uh, department head of a neurosurgery at John Hopkins, which these guys were when they wrote it. Um, until next time, I'm Mike Simmel. Thanks so much, guys. See ya. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at vfx at fxguide.com. Copyright FX Guide, LLC.